0: Sunday paper, piss and rain. I feel a big rain coming. Feels like I'm stuck at home signed sign for it. I feel my own blood jumping. I miss your breathing, God, I miss that sound. Countdown by threes, kill all the lights. Nobody died today. Black smoke, muddy waters, fucking shame cleans a gun when it's loaded I got my own damn self to blame for even the Lord wouldn't have me but I'll never play the violin again count down by threes kill
1: all the lights nobody died today someday it's funny because I was trying to think if I was, was going to possibly do a video or something say, and, and the images that I had in mind for for the whole banners and champagne wine, the things that came to mind were fantasy. It would be the forgiveness you want, as opposed to the forgiveness you're likely to
2: get. On this episode of Playtime, advertising, Hemingway, movies, and the music of Ron Lazaretti. And we try to find my voice. I'm your host, W.C. Bert.
0: I guess nobody's got the time for it. I stop at Old Steamboat. But he was working on the Motown sound Count down by threes, kill all the lights Nobody died today
2: It's not the imagery in advertising, it's the mood, message, and aura the imagery evokes. Negative space. Whether in his films or in his country blues-infused Americana-style music, in the view of this music aficionado, negative space is hardly an afterthought for Chicago singer-songwriter Ron Lazaretti, but a notable characteristic. That is fully evident in Michael Keaton's critically acclaimed directorial debut, The Merry Gentleman, starring Keaton and Kelly McDonald, which Lazaretti wrote and produced. His new album is a strong collection of solid songs titled Fathead Sunday Paper, which is out officially September 29th. The good Mr. Lazaretti debuts the new album live for a record release party at, at Fitzgerald's nightclub it's 6615 Roosevelt Road in Berwyn on September 30th for a 9 p.m. show which by the way is uh is a Saturday uh so you can sleep in the next uh, the next day. Yep. Uh the, the website is ronlazzaretti music.com. Welcome to playtime brother. Uh how did did I leave anything out?
1: Oh, I'm I'm sure you covered it
2: all. Uh, then I guess we're done here. Yep, it, it was nice meeting you. <laughs> Wonderful. no don't don't you go anywhere, man. It's it's really wonderful to have you. I I love 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 the new album there, and and we're going to talk about that in a bit. There's a lot to get to for people to know who Ron ready is, and maybe that helps inform the some of the perspectives about the music. Does that sound uh, sound yeah. like a plan? Sounds good to me. All right, all right, good deal, good deal. And before we get to the music, let me ask you: uh, this this term "nightclub" seems a bit antiquated. Lenny Bruce performed <laughs> in a nightclub in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> Shouldn't we update that name? Uh, maybe the night spot or the club? Maybe Fitzgerald's music uh, venue. You're an advertising guy. Um, help me out here.
1: Fitzgerald's really in the club form of it because there's a few venues within the venue, uh-huh. but the club itself is like a roadhouse just like a great old roadhouse that wow. kind of came out of the sky into, uh, into Berwyn. Fitzgerald's Roadhouse, I love it. I mean, it, that's certainly kind of what, what the feel of the club is. Uh-huh. Um, and I think sometimes they just say nightclub because you want to get across the idea that this is, the, yeah, that this is kind of a night spot and a place where you can kind of go for adult entertainment, you know, without being, you know, the other kind of adult entertainment.
2: what led you to music
1: well it's it's funny because you know i was born in when the beatles came to america it was like Uh we're talking 1963 64 i was 64 yeah i was really just a tiny kid Mm -hmm. Um, but my family had just moved to new york and it seemed like you know the beatles were coming to new york and all that i was very in tune with what was going on there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I remember my babysitters um were telling my mother something in very hushed tones they were going to be doing something and didn't want me to hear it. And it turns out they were going to see a hard days night. And I heard that and I said please take me to see a Hard Days Night. Please take-. <laughs> what is it four or five, I guess.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and they ultimately did take me and I remember it was a horrible experience. There were girls screaming the entire time in the movie. It was, it just, there was something about it that just like, you know, and and I couldn't understand a word the Beatles were saying, because they had an accent, which was a concept that was (laughs) on me. But I would say really those guys with guitars, not that I'm, not that what I do is like Mm Beatlesque, but, mm -hmm just it made me it just looked like so much fun so when i was you know whatever 10 12 i started taking guitar lessons and just really you know never had any great designs on it but Mm -hmm. but but really did kind of enjoy it and what i came to enjoy later was the collaborative part of it because you know it's one thing when you're a kid and you're playing in your room and you're learning songs and you play them for company when they come over it's but it's something else you know when you start to play with people and all of a sudden sparks fly. And and I remember that was a big kind of revelation for me.
2: Did you, did you go through phases of, of music exploration or, or did you always sort of gravitate towards that, that folks here country style?
1: You know, I have pretty eclectic tastes too. You know, as time went on, I started to get in more into things like the Chicago folk scene and Ryan and Steve Goodman and, you know, there were just some, it just seemed like something was going on, you know, and mm-hmm. I particularly liked that it was going on in, in our backyard.
2: But I think, I think you and I are are probably pretty close to the same age. I was born in 1962 when we were kids with just coming into music or understanding of music that was cutting edge. Uh mm-hmm. as far as as far as progressive music was concerned the 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 country the country blues infused uh rock um sort of exploring all of these uh the this milieu I, I guess uh of right. of influences
1: yeah we were also guided by the fact that you know g- guys with acoustic guitars you know yeah like- yeah That was, it was very kind of like, it took care of itself. You you didn't have to worry about a piano or whatever. You had your guitars and you could go play them anywhere. Yeah. And and there was a period of time with things, even, you know, even bands like, well, certainly Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, things like that, that kind of put you in mind of just acoustic guitars. But I was never part of like a, like a garage band or anything Mm -hmm. like that, which you know, that kind of a high school band. It never really was that, but that very self-contained thing was appealing, and that's also when I think some of the collaboration started to happen.
2: So, in, in the introduction, I I alluded to your advertising background, and and part of the reason for bringing up that was I found this expert use of negative space in, especially in the married gentleman, which. Mm-hmm is is also conducive to your your chosen genre of music I thought negative space and the concept of zero was such an important function or is such an important function in the creative arts that I dedicated a full chapter to it in uh, my history of art narrative which I just uh, just completed. I see it strongly throughout your work is is that? Organic or deliberate for Ron Lazaretti
1: I think that's a, that is, has grown over the years, too, to be a little bit more you know, the plan. Uh-huh. We, we did, the, there's stuff that I've done in advertising and I had a, a directing partner for a while. And there was a lot, a lot of what kind of excited me was, it was almost like a, a comic strip approach to yeah. things. So we have a thing called the Graveyard Show, which uh-huh. uh, I like that one enough to just kind of shamelessly promote it. <laughs> we haven't done it in a while, but it's called the Graveyard. It, the The site is thegraveyardshow dot com. Just a
0: a general feeling of of despair. Yes. Of isolation, like this desk is a lonely oasis
2: of life in an otherwise tomb like space. Yes. You know, like there is nothing else yeah. going on in the world outside of this little bubble mm-hmm. all is asleep all is death absolutely do you think you could you could yes. do something like that absolutely all right. good morning hey to borrow a phrase from those who actually arrive at work in the anti meridium hours and that is Damon Damon this is uh, Ron our director our director of, of what of uh, of Movie. Our movie, a movie. We have a movie. Well, not yet.
4: We don't. We got to make it, right? That's <laughs> that's what we're doing here. I thought we could make a movie. Is that what you thought? You just thought we could do that? Yeah, just just us. You
2: know, just oh. just the two
0: of us having our late night convos. You know, two men alone in the night trying to
1: figure it all. It, it features two actors I mean, I from town. One, David Pasquazi, who's one of the maybe maybe best. Take improv artists anywhere and the other one Chris Stolte who's a theater actor who also mm-hmm. is a film actor and has, has done all kinds of different kinds of film work and all that and, and I I'd, I'd I'd been with them to some degree and we just wanted to do something together so we ended up doing this thing that when I'm in the graveyard show and it was kind of like deliberately it's always kind of in the same place and the, they're a janitor and a, and a security guard in the overnight office building. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it's just like, there's nothing going on around them. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of them within this space that we give them to play. And in that, in that regard too, it's also kind of like Lucy at the psychiatrist desk. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, a, and, and And I think that stuff speaks to a style that I think you're alluding to.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I guess I I can clarify a little bit here in *The Married Gentleman*. There's a sublime commodity of dialogue, which is often indirect, beautifully indirect. I'm such a big fan of of Hemingway, and and he uses these passages of dialogue, in which he's kind of talking obliquely to a subject. In *The Married Gentleman*, there are these these. Intensive or pregnant moments of of silence and uh, like like we're discovering every new moment with the characters
4: have you known her a long time no me neither I met her just before Christmas she ever tell you about that deal Mm -mm. really yeah she saw a guy on the roof of a building you know she thought he was a jumper turned out he just killed someone (laughs) I can't believe she didn't tell you about this well, she must not have known you then. I'll tell you another funny thing. A guy who we think might have been involved hung himself. Wow, yeah. that is funny. Yeah. In fact, we think he might have been a customer of yours. You remember a fellow named Charlie Weiss? Yeah. No. Doesn't, doesn't really ring a bell. You'd remember. Bald, glasses. And kind to of sweaty i tend to remember the suits rather than the people in them anyway he's dead now i'm starting to think maybe it's me probably not hmm. you got a lovely place here you know i'm gonna take a little look around and do a little more shopping and, and uh you can get back to uh you know your work okay do Well, you find something you like, and I'll make sure you look good in it. You probably say that to everyone,
2: don't you? I especially like The Christmas Tree Sim, which also portrays a bit of that advertising, editing efficiency. Uh, But overall, writing film dialogue is very different from writing commercial dialogue, uh, and allowing a conversation to transpire, as they said, obliquely, rather than directly, right?
1: Right. You know, there's also scenes in The married Gentleman, there's one in particular, and when she visits him in a hospital, and you yeah. could drive a truck through things. some of the things. It's funny, because it's not like I have this great canon of work. But, you know, growing up, I watched a lot of TV. So that's a lot of talking, usually. and yeah. um, And I love that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. my a good, a great situation comedy or whatever. And then I had also with uh, this group of people that did the married Gentleman, we were also, we were trying to figure out I, for my own personal kind of selfish thing was I wanted to make a movie. We had done something called the opera lover mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of a cute romantic comedy. I mean, I don't mean to talk it down or, but it, I don't mean, to build it up, but it's, you know, kind of a charming effort on our part you know it was like going to film camp we didn't know a lot and we learned a lot along the way mm-hmm. it was a very talking movie and when we were so when I was talking about the married gentleman my idea my thought for it was that it would be very sparse in terms of dialogue like that would mm. go totally against what I've been doing but maybe there's something there you know and actually the first time I talked to uh, Michael Keaton it was interesting just how much you know, we both kind of saw. He ended up directing it, and in part because mm-hmm. I felt very comfortable that we were both talking about the same movie whenever we would talk, and and he too, I think, wanted something because you know he's kind of known as kind of a chatty actor. You know. Yeah in night shift he never stops talking (laughs) Um, so i think you know he was drawn to stuff like that too and to have it be very kind of driven by the images
2: and and people should see the movie you you, i i saw it on youtube but his character is very introspective which would be out of character for him to be chatty
1: yes yes yeah it just wouldn't work because basically He and Kelly McDonald are people who are harboring secrets. Yes. You generally don't keep talking until you accidentally reveal (laughs) whatever your secret is. But it's also funny because one of the first conversations I had with him, I was trying to tell him, trying to get him to, you know, be totally locked in. And at some point, and I was, I had a lot of morphine in me because I had the, the, the kind of sickness came. But so I didn't maybe have the best judgment, but at some point I said to him, you know, I don't want to queer this deal, but this guy reminds me a lot of Batman. And I kind of then there was like a pause and I kind of thought, oh, man, maybe that's not what he wanted to hear, because, you know, guys who play superheroes, some moody
2: and a bit dark and and it
1: was like, yeah, he got kind of the idea of this avenging angel uh, character and and i thought he really leaned into that and even you know directing it chris seeger was the director of photography on it too he was phenomenal and it was that too was a good collaborative shoot but yeah it, just trying to find the right tone for that kind of thing and i think w- so often what they're not saying is is really what, what the scene is about mm-hmm. um, and i think he got that totally for sure
2: I'm still looking for uh, something better somewhere else. Uh, a feature length film, the feature length film that you also wrote, which the the late great film critic from Chicago here, Roger Ebert, called uh, quote a delightful film uh, and in some stretches a, a, a flawless one. It was listed on Hulu, but apparently they removed it when I was ready to ready to watch it. So okay, I'll,
1: uh, I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy to look at. Oh, it.
2: fantastic! That that'd be wonderful. I, I'm, I'm uh, really really interested in, in seeing it um, you know the
1: funny thing about ebert was yeah and my my wife said after we because it was an overly nice review and she said you know what's great about this he really got what you were trying to do and i thought that was the thing about ebert like uh-huh. when i you know my own stuff notwithstanding it was always amazing to me just how he could kind of how he could figure out a way to kind of tell you, articulate what it was that you were feeling about a, a, a movie—that yeah. was, always, I think, the coolest thing about him. You kind of go, "Yeah, yeah, I thought that too," you know, yeah. just not eloquently.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's—it was—it was a great loss losing him. Let me just go back to this for for just a moment. How did you come into contact with uh, with Michael Keaton, and especially about this project?
1: There were feelers out to, okay. you know, checking it out with different people. We It was kind of the rare situation where we pretty much had the money for the film.
0: Yeah. So
1: it was, you know, something that gets taken a little bit more seriously by everybody. Uh-huh. Actually, early on, uh, the great Chicago actor Dennis Farina was talking to us about it and actually helped us a great deal in terms of rounding up some people who might be able to help with funding. Oh, interesting. Unfortunately didn't work out. Yeah. And this because of the timing, he got a law and order job, job on law and order that basically took place, you know, when we needed to be shooting the movie. So the timing of it didn't work, but he helped, he helped pull it together and we had some events and, and things where we kind of, Tried to entice people to c- climb on board and help us out, um, and I think our producer Steve Jones was the guy that got in, somehow got in touch with with Michael Keaton,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and that just it moved pretty quickly. But like I said, there were just all these extenuating circumstances. Then we were on really just like chasing it, trying to figure out how we were going to get it done, whether I was going to be able to do it, and. Um, but Keaton stuck with it, you know, you know, everything, you know, everything wasn't peachy on it. There was a lawsuit. There was all this stuff that Mm kind of, but the the actual filming process when we were together was the best. And I feel like, you know, the movie that exists right now, everybody wishes that they got, they had this or that about the way they wanted to see it. It's an interesting process, man, because it really, The time spent developing a project and the way it evolves during that is, is, you know, particularly for an independent film where you're just trying to get everything from A to Z done. Mm -hmm. It's quite a miracle when it gets done, and it's particularly a miracle when it gets done anywhere near the way you wanted it to get done. I'd be interested to kind of like see it again, just to yeah. see it, you know, there's too much baggage in the early part when it just comes out. Um, it'd be interesting to see how you feel about it now with some distance from it.
2: It holds up really well. And, uh, and we'll link to it in the, in the notes below. Cause I, I think people would, uh, people would enjoy it. So the the wife and I were listening to uh, battle of the planets the other day uh, mm-hmm. in the car, she kind of caught what I, what I said about negative space. And and I think that your musical style is very amenable to to the quality of of le- negative space more so than probably any other genre. I, I'd love I'd love your thoughts on that a little bit.
1: Well, I I feel like a lot of it is about simplicity. That yeah, yeah that's precisely. the word that comes to mind. Yeah. You know, for me when. And, and I, I don't really can't think of anything I've ever worked on that when we sat down to make it a little simpler, it didn't get better. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then, you know, also I'm playing, I am playing within my abilities. I mean, let's face it. Some of what we're talking about is kind of by virtue of how I approach a lot of different things and, and just having that sense of simplicity and uh-huh. that sense of negative space. It's interesting because in advertising, especially, you know, there's often clients that really do want to jam every piece of everything, you know, everything into one space. The feeling is I own this space rather than doing something simple with a lot of negative space within it. Let's let's maximize, you know, so let's make the logo bigger. Let's make, you know, so that happens a lot. Um, So I'm probably without even realizing it, sort of rebelling against that in those different forms anyways. You try to explain to somebody that for anything to have impact, anything to have power, you know, it has to live in a space. It can't just be part of like this jammed jigsaw puzzle. (laughs) Um, That's kind of always on my mind. Yeah. And, you know, the same example keeps coming up, but the peanuts thing is a great kind of, I, I think about that a lot. Uh, there's a great biography of Charles Schultz, and it really talks a lot about how he, you know, has gone through, uh, you know, j- just how he, what, like his life is reflected in the strip, how he goes through various eras. In that era, he there's a lot of fantasy because his life is in turmoil. Mm-hmm. And this part of it, you know, so you can kind of, and he track this author tracks with that. And 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 you just sit there and you go strip after strip and you just realize just how much space there is to live in there and how the restraint and not trying to cram it full of stuff. And so I guess that's in a way where some of the things merge too, like my work in advertising, my work with music, my work, all those kinds of things, kind of the same lessons often apply.
2: How how much did you take Ogilvy on advertising to heart?
1: You know... (laughs) I, I wish I was more serious about advertising when I was you know I worked at a place that was very fun and irreverent in okay. a way uh, and it was a lot of misfits really it was a place called Eisman Johnson Laws it was in Chicago you know a lot of the people who were there just kind of ended up in advertising by accident so we didn't know what we didn't know yeah it was also a heavy broadcast kind of place so we were doing stuff for WGn TV and the Cubs Okay. And we were doing stuff for, with Michael Jordan for Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. We were doing all these, you know, and it was approached a little bit more like programming almost because we were, there were a lot of media kind of based accounts. So, you know, I think some of it comes from that as well.
2: There are these brilliant, outstanding moments on Battle of the Planets. Uh, my current favorite, uh, by the way, is... Uh, this rock and a honky-tonk dull blade i'd love to know how that song came together or where it came from
0: purgatory on a monday and there's something in the air seems like no one's going no place seems like no one even cares We got nothing left to lose now We got everything to gain And nobody takes a number Cause all the numbers are the same if We're doing that slow dance I'm Waiting on a snow fade you wearing that red scarf I'm waving that toe plate We're doing that slow
1: I got bills I won't be paid. I got lines I'll never say. You know, it's hard to explain these things because you always sure. end up me like you're pontificating or something. But the one thing I, I can kind of say, I was going through kind of like a, a you know, kind of a dark time. You know, and I think I was trying to figure some things out, and I was had some, you know, some bad behavior on my part, <laughs> and I could just. And it just had that feeling like day after day, you know, the, the opening line of the song is purgatory in, on a Monday.
3: <laughs>
1: and, and I always thought that was a little bit of a joke, you know, uh, but it's kind of it's not played like a joke, but purgatory on a Monday and there's something in the air.
2: And not, not many people realize that uh, Mondays are slow days in purgatory.
1: <laughs> they really are. I mean, <laughs> purgatory is not bad enough as it already is. Now it's a purgatory on a Monday. So it really was based on this feeling of this place that I just couldn't get out of you know couldn't get past in any way and was struggling to kind of you know either fall back into hell or find a better place in a, in in front of me and and a lot of my stuff really is very lyric based i mean yeah if i'm not winning you with with the words then chances are you you, you know you, you might not be on board I don't know how story based you know the stuff is generally speaking. I'm generally going for a mood.
2: Well, I think it's what it what it evokes. From from Battle of the Planets, you write this lyric: "There are two sides of the moon, and the dark one is winning," which evokes all sorts of of pondering. It, it it evokes what you mentioned the that personal uh the personal trials that that you were going through. It also Alludes to what's happening in society, the government, all all sorts of things.
1: It's always great when you can touch on these things without making it everything so strictly about something. Yeah. Um, Again, it's how it makes you feel as opposed, and I'm not. It's just different styles, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where things bleed over because, you know, maybe at the end of the day, I am thinking more in terms of images and things of that nature mm-hmm. as opposed to a very you know chances are you can bring your own interpretation to a lot of it. I think
2: that's that's a natural uh, thing for people to do.
1: Yeah it's nice to be to leave room for people to participate in the thing. Yeah. My mind is
0: running ahead of my soul And I'm a selfish man who might as well know I wish the horse wasn't trailing the car I'm only worried about my own heart There's no reason that all it's been said There's no reason it's all in your head And if I tear this whole thing right apart I'm only worried Bow my own heart so stop ringing that bell I'll be there in a minute And the largest threat to our world Is buried within it That's the battle of the planets And that's just the beginning
1: There's two sides of the moon And the dark one's winning I get kind of bored with songs that are just exactly what they are word for word on the surface i love listening to steely dan it's like you know reading a, a, yeah. a book of short stories uh, i know they take a lot of heat but
2: um and there's a lot of ambiguity or, or or measured ambiguity in their lyrics so depending on how you come to the song you can you can personalize it
1: absolutely yeah i just think that that's That's what I like, so that's what I do.
2: Mm -hmm. Although, so tell me about Your Front lawn. which sounds like this soulful polemic that then arcs towards the the personal side.
0: We're dodging bullets and hand grenades. I am afraid to go outside, get out of bed, open my eyes, I hope I'm dreaming. I like a Bible in my pocket. I'd like a getaway car Make that a train, make that a plane, make that a rocket The Holy Spirit is in the room Rearranging furniture, whistling a tune I think I hear it Think it might be lucky a lady greatest sand, a case of or a jungle land, i sexy city. So far away, where I can't see. I can't help thinking something's going on.
1: Don't be afraid. Your front line is kind of a, uh, myself. there's a creepiness to it that I really like. It's, I, I, there's something in the reassuring tone of, you know, what what could be a lunatic. I love the kind of reassurance from the, from the protagonist, I guess, of, of just trying to, you know, it's, it's only me, you know, Uh (laughs) I like the idea of, you don't have to worry about it. It's just me, you know, and then kind of getting a sense of what the, the threat that may lie within, you know, I'm not heavily into folk and I don't, it just makes me feel like it's about the state of the state, but I'm not really talking about any one thing particularly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I kind of I struggle with that sometimes because I'm not just trying to be coy. I'm trying to evoke a feeling and bring you into it. And sometimes it's better if you're if you're not implicating yourself totally in the song, or te- or explaining everything that there is yeah. to be explained because w- the mystery of it is kind of the biggest about it and so let me
2: let me ask you because you said that that lyrics and and the story of of the of the song is is a big part of your uh your songwriting what does music the creation and performance or legacy of it mean for you what what are you trying to uh, explore um are you hoping to attain or interested in leaving behind
1: you know, I've thought about that a lot. This uh-huh. notion of what what are you doing it for? What you know, and there is something to with like the music. Well, hell, the film stuff too, but uh-huh. I don't think about it that much. But if truth be told, I just feel like I have to express myself at this stage of my life, my career. It's really about ears. You really, you uh-huh. know, like uh-huh. you want people to hear it. A friend was like, you know, why do you put, you know, around here, like Fitzgerald is a good example of a place too, where they they encourage really a lot of local talent to bring their own voices to it. So mm-hmm. if there's, a, you know, I'm not putting down like the idea of a cover thing or anything like that, mm-hmm. but but it's it's unusual to be encouraged by a place to bring into it like my music and it's great to have that kind of encouragement mm-hmm. uh, and and given the opportunity and also given the people to play it with because that's the other element that we haven't talked too much about but the community there is such that you know you're not just influenced by big things that are out in the world you're you're influenced yeah. by each other the band that played on on both of the records that you're talking about they're a very um, reserved in the sense that they don't come and just start jamming on top of you. Mm-hmm. They play the song. And, and as a result, they also kind of bring just a little something that you didn't think of to, to the, the proceedings.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that to me is irresistible, just being able to be a part of that community. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it's not so much about what I'm leaving behind or whatever. It's about, it's about making things. hmm Kate Fitzgerald, who, you know, used to be one of the owners of the, of the club, Mm -hmm. you know, she said, what, what do you want to do now? Like, what do you, I I, said, I really had to think about it. I just want to make stuff. And that could be a movie. That could be a a web series. That could be a a record. I've just been drawn more to the music because the opportunity has been there and the desire to work with certain people has been there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in some ways, you're always drawn to the thing where there's a little heat or when you're thinking about things that are achievable, you know, whether it's by virtue of money or and all that. Those are the things that kind of, you know, in some ways guide what I do next or where, what I'm inspired to do now.
2: We're going to move on to um, the new album here in, in just a moment. But you, you reach down for these powerfully resonant thoughts. I'm thinking of this beautiful lament. Uh, long for this world it could be a song to a lover or from a parent to a child
0: Yeah. in the middle of the night my teeth go loose and every stupid thing comes home to roost and there'll be no peace there'll be no rest it's like every little thing is dangerous Do you think you'll be loved For this world Then every mistake I ever made Does a do see do and a promenade all around the bed then the room goes bright from a
1: street cleaning truck and its yellow light in terms of what inspired it yeah. um Do you think it really you was that it, it's that universal world. feeling of the middle of the night and I again that web series we were talking about is another you know that's something that mm-hmm. that's a space you know that I, mm-hmm. sometimes is it's a formidable thing to go up against the middle of the night and everything that yeah. kind of floating into the room while you're you know yeah like trying to hold it together um and long for this world you know it, i think is also it, it's basically about how long am i going to be here mm-hmm. you know and then how long are you going to be here? You know, how long, it's like, what there's a lot of, there's a lot of different levels to what unnerves you during that time. And that's funny. You mentioned um, Hemingway because, and I kind of wrote a song that kind of has some of that, but the Hemingway, I don't have it in front of me, but it's the line. Um, and the sun also rises about the fact that it's easy to be hard boiled about these things in the middle of the day, but in the middle of the night, that's, that's another subject altogether. Uh And and that's really what that whole thing was about for me was, you know, in that particular book, he's left alone, his lover, who's not his lover because he has a war, you know, injury, and he can't consummate their love. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that stuff is in play, but it really comes down to, it's the middle of the night and I, it's just rolling around in my head and I can't, you know, can't possibly sleep and I can't I don't know what to do. Um, so that's that is where that feeling comes from. And I feel like that's a pretty universal thing.
2: So am I am I wrong in believing that you continue that conversation with banners and champagne wine off the new album Fathead Sunday Paper? Uh, it's this freeform sonnet of forgiveness and homecoming. At least that's how I took it. That song feels so heartfelt. It has to come from someplace real, right? Be good to see it Leave today
0: Ride all night And we'll all be Waiting here for you With banners and champagne Wine on night Come on home We had it painted Sheets are clean Cotton's high Everyone's dying to see to make it all right, make you feel fine. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. on home it's all forgotten you can
1: stay all you like i mean it's straight down the middle about forgiveness in a way yeah but it's also about how hard forgiveness is because i listen to you know when i listen to that song it it's as though i can't tell if they're kidding you know i can't tell if banners and champagne wine and this pri- it's it's sort of a fantasy
2: it of- feels like a family conversation like everybody like like there's a there's a child or a wayward member of the family who's now returned to the fold or a past member of the family who who the 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 family or the parents are remembering and they're having that conversation that's that's how it felt to me
1: the tone of it is such that there's places where I feel like, are they, is he forgiven? Are they, you know, is there, uh, is there a resentment still? You know, it's not as clear cut for me, whether this person is having a dream of that kind of forgiveness or, you know, or really having it. Um, And it's sort of up. For, it's kind of this bittersweet thing. Either way, mm-hmm. um, I'm really fond of that one. For some reason, people really seem to react to that one. That and Long for This World are kind of two that I get a similar kind of response to.
2: What inspired that song? Did it was it was it a story? I, I mean, you know, I so I, I've I've got a number of books that I published. My my wife famously tells me she doesn't have to worry about leaving me alone because I have all these characters in my head, keeping me company concocting stories and dialogue is, is not a difficult thing for me. How does that play out for, for you?
1: It's, it's really, it's about how hard it is to try to forgive someone.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: It's funny. Cause I was trying to think if I was, if I was going to possibly do a video or something for mm-hmm. and, and the images that I had in mind for for the whole Banners and Champagne wine, the things that came to mind were fantasy. It would be the forgiveness you want as opposed to the forgiveness you're likely to get. Um, I I often wondered, and sometimes you you as a writer must feel the same way. It's like, sometimes I think the writer is the last person to ask because I've had things so often you know, a year, two years later, yeah. I'll be playing a song and I'll be like, oh, that's what's going on there. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now I know what that piece was about. You know, I sometimes feel like p- people come to it faster than I do at times.
2: It, it, yeah. It's it's maybe that that intuitive nature of self-expression. That and and I, and I've asked this of of musicians and writers and artists and uh, the the same question, and I always always get different answers of where that creative inspiration comes from, that that moment of epiphany. Where does that come from? Does it come from outside of you? Does that are you tapping into a universal con uh, consciousness? where Where does that come from?
1: You know, it's funny. I I think maybe you'll feel the same way. It's usually in some form or another about a hook. It's yeah. about a line uh or something that gets in my head and I may not know what it means, or it might be gibberish in some ways that I that I'm just filling in because I have a melody. If I if something gets stuck in my head and I can't I can't lose it, it almost nine out of ten times will end up as something mm-hmm. because. And even if it's not exactly what it was, or if it's not the same line as it was before, it's something that just rings a bell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes, sometimes I'll make something out of nothing with that. You know, other times I'm forcing myself to kind of try to write the story that I had in mind. You know, and that's different. But I think just trying to. Make sense of something, or it could be something where somebody literally everybody does this. I'm sure. Where you're walking down the street and somebody's walking the opposite direction, and they say something, and you don't know anything else about that conversation except for that, and mm-hmm. it just feels like somebody just told me something, you mm-hmm. know. And that's the kind of stuff that you know. That's what inspires me is something that 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 kind of pulls me in and won't let go.
2: You know, uh, so I've I've Characterized it like this. When I'm writing a character, I and and I want them to go right, uh, they'll say, No, I'm gonna turn left. Um (laughs) when I want them to go into the basement, they say no, I'm gonna go upstairs. So my function as as a writer is not to control them but corral them enough to get them to the final resolution. Of, of the story I'm trying to tell. Do you, does that, that how yeah, you feel?
1: Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. But yeah, I like the way you, I, that's in fact, that's something I just, I should be more conscious of frankly.
2: And and within that jazzy s- space that they exist in lies the, the nuance uh, and, and the breadth of, of great stories or great mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah because because it's interesting for me as an author or you as a writer because it's there there's still a level of danger and unpredictability as you're as you're fighting to to problem solve in that moment which is a huge aspect of of any artistic expression uh you're you're fighting to problem solve in in that moment uh and through the piece as a whole right
1: right
0: the Sioux and Potawatomi Among the presidents we've killed It might be morbid curiosity That keeps me searching for you still Out in the plains and in the food court Under my pillow in the rain Somewhere that someone saw you walking Out in a field out by the plane. Walking away, feeling alone Walking away, feeling alone I heard you shot a man in Reno I heard you joined a burlesque show Somebody saw
2: you in a- walking away feeling alone breaks breaks my heart, by the way. Uh, that inspired songs with this depth get lost in our current streaming and download culture and don't get the attention they deserve. Uh, it, it's really one of those songs that comes only with age and experience.
1: Oh, that's really nice. Thank you. Um, that one. Yeah, I have a fondness for that one, for sure. It's funny because that's something that was built on maybe one image, one thought. Uh It was this image of the movie star John Wayne at the end of a movie called The Searchers. Uh And at the end, everybody comes together and they all go in this house where they're all going to now everybody's back where they need to be. John Wayne kind of was this dark character that uh, brought everybody back together and mm-hmm. then as, as the movie ends you're kind of looking through this doorway and everybody comes in through the door and he goes out through the door and just goes out into nothing and nowhere because mm-hmm. he can't be with them and uh, I love John Wayne. I think he's <laughs> I think he's great. probably Certainly iconic. Yes and Probably not one thing politically speaking or whatever that we could agree on, <laughs> um you know, he was a very kind of outspoken actor, you know, in his generation, a very conservative guy um and there was so, there's something in just the dichotomy of, of that feeling I have for him as a movie star and this kind of other side of it, which is. Which I yeah, I don't really see would not likely see eye to eye. Well, he was
2: he was ubiquitous in, in the culture and the times that we grew up in.
1: Yes. Yeah. And but he, you know, it is kind of that double double-edged sword of the whole thing. I yes. I like the idea of all these images that I was trying to think of when I it basically I mean, obviously without sounding like a nut, it but it is about America. It's about looking for America. Mm-hmm. Um and it's about the fact that all these images that we pass through, most of these iconic characters, I picture them kind of as lonesome, that and, and elusive, yeah, like not sure where to find you know that person mm-hmm. um, that's representative of all of this. So that's why there's like this list of of, of various images that are kind of iconic. Um, that you have a fondness for but also a sadness around Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's hard for me to break it down totally I I feel like I said like I I get lost in my own explanation of it but um,
2: people should listen to the song
1: yeah there's there's (laughs) there's something about that one that that is a little more ambitious maybe
2: uh roadside near Peru this one snuck up on me I kind of move past it at first but now it, it's one of the it, it's one of those diamonds in the album ron lazaretti's haunting take on uh, building shrines to mile markers that make up a life
0: in memory I'm roadside near peru white cross plastic flowers and a poem by Maya angelou trucks flying by Well, I've never been to see Saint Bernadette or Fatima But all I can tell you is Now I'm inclined I'm building a shrine And it's to everyone And it's to everything Got candles and incense And a bell you can ring How do we get from here to there?
1: Feel something sacred in. Yeah. You know, it's funny cuz that's one of those songs you could you could totally play, you know, totally kind of straight and literal. Yeah. Or you can get pretty metaphorical on it.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You know, you ask in some ways though, you ask about the previous stuff that you know what what there is about the song or what inspired it Um, and I feel like like the whole album is a shrine I mean yeah yeah that's kind of what it is Uh it was nothing that I you know set out to say okay now I need the thing to tell you that this is a shrine but it kind of dawned on me that that's what I in the end I was writing something Mm -hmm. to kind of Take you into that space, yeah. Of it, all of it being kind of a you know. There's also something about the. There's a line about just trucks flying by. Yeah, it's you know how life goes on, and not just that how the speed with which it goes on and leaves Uh you, leaves you there by that roadside. I always have. If I'm walking, I always have to stop and look and read. You know who that? There's something so kind of uh, like hyper tragic about it because. Someone felt compelled to, to put that there, you mm-hmm. know. And there's,
2: there's almost this peasant artistry to to those little roadside shrines.
1: Right. Yeah. It's funny because it's not everything, you know. People don't, you don't put a shrine everywhere somebody died of something. Right. Um, and yet, in those moments of tragedy where you suspect that something happened—a car accident, a, you know—a different kind of level of tragedy. Mm-hmm is usually what's implied mm-hmm. uh, so it's always you know it just feels more painful <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah 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 um, Countdown by Threes it's got this Dire Straits uh, style guitar riff it sort of plays homage to Jack Sony, the Dire Straits guitarist who just passed away in August you... after you wrote the, the song
1: oh that's I didn't know that I could pray
0: to see But gone is gone, gone. God damn Don't nobody pick up a phone It's a time without pity I guess nobody's got the time for it I stopped by old Steamboat Willie But he was working on the Motown sound Countdown by three Kill all the lights, nobody died today
1: Um, well, the guy who's influenced is, is very much on mining and Brandon Davis. Uh huh. Great, great guitarist. And,
2: so you have a very collaborative style of uh, of songwriting. Uh,
1: well, it's not so much the writing; it's the kind of what you, I, it's what you do with it. Okay. When it's written, in terms of the arrangements, touches that we're going to bring to it, all that kind of stuff. Uh huh. And. That's you know where all the guys that I play with, you know Isaac Lyons, who also works out of Fitzgeralds, and Michael Craniac, and Aaron Davis, and um, all these guys are. You know Tom Niso plays this haunting pedal steel on this whole thing that yeah. kind of changes the complexion of it, you know all on its own. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I also work with Jenny Bienenman and Jody walker and naomi ashley and
3: mm-hmm.
1: i mean jenny bienneman during you know i think during covid and, and things like that she started this thing called haiku milieu that is she writes these poems and then encourages people to write songs that are inspired by the poems
2: <laughs> we, and, we've spoken about that with uh with al rose
1: oh yeah yeah oh man he does great stuff in that. Yeah, but yeah. stuff like that where she was like really just anxious to figure out ways to bring people together, whether we did them on video, whether we were able to get in a place and do it. And it would encourage everybody to do, to bring their touch to it. And, Mm -hmm. and pretty, I mean, very intoxicating in the way it, you know, everybody brought their own thing to it. Um, So yeah, those people play a huge part in my life.
2: So I just had a conversation with uh, Ana Castillo, the, the author, um, mm-hmm. about her latest collection of short stories. There's a story titled Then in which a brother learns all of these revelations about a deceased sister. I kept hearing throughout that whole conversation uh, the refrain from I'm writing this this beautiful sumptuous song from, from the new album in which you sing I'm writing the story of your life. I'd love to know more about that song.
1: Well, that one I can. That one is clear in my head. I can tell you, okay. it's actually about a writer who, uh, some renown here in Chicago, that his name was Bill Zamy. Do you know? Did you know Bill? I did. Yeah. You know, I, I met Bill many years ago, mm-hmm. and he was kind of like, you know, Bill wrote a lot of very media-oriented celebrity stuff, and mm-hmm. He took it to a whole other level, as I'm sure you can attest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we became fast friends. Although I think Bill had a lot of, you know, fast friend pals out in the world. He just was he was just one of those guys. In fact, I, the first time he worked he, with
2: Andy Kaufman. He,
1: he, well, yeah, he wrote the autobiography. Yeah. I mean, his yeah. Biography, I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he also did a lot of stuff uh, like on Sinatra he was he was doing a, he was doing something, uh, he was starting the biography of Johnny Carson,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which he took on that was his big opus. and he, you know, he, Bill really was into that. He, he was the last guy to interview Carson before he passed away. And um, and so that was just really important to him. Um, so I, I met him at a some function. It's a tribute to somebody. And he was just, we ended up at the bar and we were talking. And he said at some point, how is it that we don't know each other? And I said, <laughs> I don't know, but I've admired your stuff, you know, forever. He goes, yeah, that's just really weird that I don't know you. And so after that, it, we've kept good touch. And he got he, he got sick. It's got to be 10 years ago now, right in the midst of, you know, getting the Carson project started. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was struggling with it. And when he got sick, he was really having a hard time plugging in, you know, plugging his brain into the whole thing. Yeah, A funny thing about him, and you mentioned Kaufman and all that, Bill would, in some form, he would come to embody this, whoever the the person was. He, you know, the fact that he was dealing to some degree with, Bill was the dichotomy of, you know, <laughs> here's the guy who is a lone wolf, you know. And yet, he knows everybody. So I always thought that that was amazing about him. How you walk into any bar, restaurant, any place you with him, and he invariably knows somebody there.
2: Mm-hmm. And, very very personable guy.
1: Yes, and then when he got sick, he became less and less available. He was trying to kind of get back on the horse. It's funny because I used to have a podcast called the Hog Butcher Radio Hour. Mm-hmm. Bill came on the show, and. He was great, but it was like, he was he was also kind of all over the map. And I was trying to kind of reel him in to kind of rein him in a little bit. So, And so we had to do like a second episode because it was mm-hmm. just all over the place. And um, on, the, on his way to where we were recording, he passed through the Drake Hotel. Mm-hmm. And he was looking for some magazines and a newspaper. And they had shut down their magazine stand and their newspaper stand. And he could not get over that. When when he made it over to where I was waiting for him, Mm -hmm. he just could not get over the fact that that thing that basically was what he had done his whole life was now marginalized to the point of non-existence. Mm -hmm. You know? So it was really hard on him. I'm writing is really just it was him struggling to write the Carson biography. I mean, literally it was that he was, it was him trying to plug into it and be able to figure out why you did what you did or yeah. what, you know, what was the motive for this or trying to understand people to the point where it would just drive him crazy. Cause it didn't make sense that the character would be doing this instead of that. And so, that, so that, that song was very much about his attempt to get into the Carson book and to, and to, take, tell, to basically tell his life, you know. I've been
0: hearing the sound of your voice I've been hearing the sound of your voice I'm writing, I'm writing The story of your life I've been busting my ass out here I've been trying to make sense of one single thing Three eighty three. And I've been busting my ass out here. Trying to turn every wrong turn
1: you made to poetry. I'm sure you know Harry Nilson. Yes, uh, yeah. You no, know, there was a documentary on him and Van Dyke Parks. Made a remark, he just took him up on a hill. He picked up Van Dyke Parks and they drove on a hill and he just started popping in cassettes of all his music. When it was all over, he said, That's my life's work, Hmm. and and it just was so sad and poignant. Um, and I feel you know the same. Try, I, I was trying to write about Bill the way Bill was trying to write about Carson, really.
2: Uh, talk about Ron's very special Christmas special which uh takes place December 7th right
1: that's correct
2: uh-huh.
1: and I'm already worried about it um, <laughs> that's something this is the 14th uh, annual this will be the 14th annual yes wow. that's cool. um I used to do it with Naomi Ashley Naomi doesn't do it anymore but um we have a this kind of big ongoing cast of characters and music performers and like, it's very much uh you know when when I was a kid Andy Williams used to have a Christmas show all the time. It's very much in that kind of vein it's it's a little bit uh poking fun at you know these things obviously but if truth be told, I love that stuff. I can't uh-huh. I, I can't be too cool for school about that stuff. I think <laughs> it, I'm all for it. We have fun at you know at its expense to some degree, but at the end of the day, it really is a Christmas special, informed by all those specials that you see, you know, during the holiday season.
2: Cast of thousands. Do you have a venue or or a That's site? True.
1: We've done that every year at Fitzgerald's in the Big okay. Club. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be there again this year,
2: and uh, I'm, I'm sure it sells out. Where that, where would that people? really does. So yeah. if if people wanted to wanted to jump on that sooner rather than later. Uh, Where would they go? Or do they just check out your website?
1: As we get closer, I think it's really more about uh, they're very much on a reservation basis. Right. Right. Calling in to reserve your your seats. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't checked to see if it's on Fitzgerald's site, but if it is, it will when it when it does appear, it'll be on their calendar December 7th for sure.
2: All right. Ron Lazaretti's new album is titled Fathead Sunday Paper, which is out officially September 29th. Mr. Lazaretti debuts the new album for a live record release show at Fitzgerald's Nightclub. Uh, that's right, Fitzgerald's Nightclub. Fitzgeraldsnightclub.com, 6615 Roosevelt Road, Berwyn, Illinois, for a September 30th, 9 p.m. show. The website is Music.com. Can't forget the music.com. Thanks, Rod. Good, good thank luck you. with the album. Uh, hold, hold, hold tight there. I'm going to take care of a little bit of business, and then we'll come come back and say a, a proper uh, farewell. I'd like to thank my guest, Ron Lazaretti, uh, and all of you who listened. Links to Mister Lazaretti's music and website are in the notes below don't forget to click the subscribe button for updates on future guests and programs and don't forget to check out my monthly podcast chicago Writes, the podcast of the chicago writers association we close with timpani drum off fathead sunday paper from ron Lazaretti. ron do you want to do you want to set the song up a little bit for us
1: this one goes out to all the the fascists and the narcissists i guess Perfect.
2: Uh, for Playtime, I'm W.C. Turn
0: I got a timpani drum and I don't love my brother and I'm on my way. I got your hand in one hand, the whole world in the other and I'm on my way. Got a cow I can milk, got a bow and an arrow. Got a rock and a slingshot Got my eye on the sparrow I'm on my way I had a dream You were looking at me real funny Smelled like kerosene And I think you were home a gun I got nothing to lose I'm already a dead man and I'm on my way. wearing an army fatigues and an Indian There's a hole in the shovel These are dark, dark days But someone messes with us Man, they're asking for trouble And I'm on my way Got a full tank of gas And a girl half my age You know i She does my hair and my makeup Cause my home is the stage I could not come down. I'm your friend. I'm your neighbor. I'm your doctor. I'm your color. You're my protege. I'm your priest. I'm your